From what's on to what matters, it's Tracy Mack on Newcastle in the Morning, only on Newcastle Live. He's handsome and smart, a true blue Jets and Knights fan, a part of Australia's Hollywood royalty. From General Hospital to Occupation Rainfall, NCIS LA to All Saints, Newcastle Live Radio's very own Nova Castrian in Hollywood. It's time to cross to LA to catch up with Zach Garrod. It is time to cross to LA. It's four weeks since I've chatted to this beautiful gentleman. God only knows what's happened in La La Land in that time. Good morning and welcome, Zach Garrett. You'll be very happy to know, Tracy, that things don't happen very quickly over here or on a large level or in a largely broadly impactful way. No, so don't worry about it. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. That's okay. Well, you know, I, just a few things happened in the UK while I was there. You know, there was a Queen's death. It was. There was a, the economy imploded. Um, the, the dollar died. The, there was train yeah. strikes. There was bus strikes. Man, there's nothing happening in the world. There really isn't. It's so well, boring. I should be talking to you. That's <laughs> <laughs> so sad. So boring. Yeah. Now we need to start with the with the best news first off. Did you watch the Newcastle Jets opening home game on Saturday night? I, I didn't. I didn't catch it, but <gasps> I was uh, I was well and truly enthralled with the, all the highlights the next day. It was. It's great. It's great. It's such good news. Great win. <laughs> it is, and it's nice to see a Newcastle team with a W in front of it. It, it's really good. I think, like um, some of the commentators are saying, it, it's been the last time we won the opening game of the season was 2017 18, which was a very good year for us. So, yeah, hopefully, yeah, not, not we, a bad we one. can. Not a bad one. Hopefully, we can emulate some kind of success out of that. But I, I think, uh, like a lot of people said, it was a very non uh, recent Newcastle Jets performance. And by recent, I mean like the last six, seven years, mm. where, you know, we, we, we'd usually draw those games or occasionally lose them in the last minute, which was always, always so crestfallen for, for us as fans. Mm. Um, but, you know, I remember back in 06, 07, we would often win games like that. Yep. Like the, the famous goal that Nicky Carl scored against Adelaide. When we went down to 10 men, um, Gave away a penalty, went down to 10 players, and Nicky Carl scored that incredible length of the field winner. So, um, so oh, yeah, man. it's nice to have shades of that spirit. It really is. And, and that's the thing I've been saying this morning, that, you know, with 10 men, we managed to, uh, to pull off that win. And normally, as you say, especially in the last, you know, five to seven years, we would have lost that game. Yeah, we just can see goals late. We were just uh, lapses in judgment, poor passes. I mean, we played Adelaide last year, up 1-0 against Adelaide, and they put two goals against away against us. One of them was an injury time, actually. An incredible goal by one of their Japanese strikers. Um, and, and these are the things that, you know, of course, <laughs> make, make uh, a season, can make a, like, a lacklustre season. Mm. But to start off on the front foot like that so aggressively and so prominently is really, really encouraging, given the Central Coast are a quite a dynamic team themselves so I think we've got a things like um, there's a great structure I think Brendan O'Neill was talking to James Gardner and the Herald about how they've got a great structure in the side right mm. now there's a lot of stability and confidence and it showed just with, uh, with Josh Letirio with that pass through to Beckham Mikkel Tartzi just composure in the final seconds no panic just we've got this yeah um, we could have done without the send off though we, we could have probably done without the karate chop yeah, look, if they're going to do a, a Roy O'Donovan uh, homage, let's get it done at the start mm. of the season versus in the grand final. Like, yeah, we'll definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and let's yeah. make sure, you know, it, the, the vision of it was spectacular. I mean, man, that was a karate chop and a half. 
Oh, good. I can't, I can't get my leg above my hip. No, I'm, neither can I. What, six foot, he's like six foot two. Yep. Like he's, yep. Uh, it's, look, credit to the Jets Flexibility Program. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're doing well. They're uh, Yeah, they need to get out and teach some of us how to get that flexibility. There's no yeah. doubt about that one. Absolutely. Mm. Now, I'm going to start with uh, with something this morning that is completely, sure. completely unfounded. We don't have any source material for it. But it is doing the rounds over there, and it's about kitty litter in schools. Now, tell me this about a, this. Oh, this is one of the most bizarre, obscure stories that has just sort of been uh, built up and sort of in, in, inflamed with this, this hardcore kind of uh, attack by conservatives, mostly. Well, I shouldn't want to say conservatives. I mean extremists. I'm talking the Lauren Boberts and the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world. So th- there was this totally unfounded story, again, broadly discussed with no specifics or anything like that, about how some our schools, and they say schools broadly, not some schools, but schools, were allowing kitty litter in, in the, the hall rooms and in the classrooms so that children who identified as furries, which we'll get into soon, uh, had a place to, to, to go to the bathroom, had, had facilities to use, which is just absolutely nonsensical and they, they, there was a it was a school supposedly up in the new england area um where this occurred and they actually had to come out the statement and say no this is nonsense absolute nonsense we can't even believe we have to say this but this is absurd the only and, and the, a journalist from the msnbc dug into this the only school where they found killer as it were was at a school in colorado and it was a response to the columbine shooting now they have these it's, it's horrific to even think it's needed they have these things called go buckets and go packs in schools mm. in case of a mass shooting like it's the kind of thing that you would usually see on a military base which is basically like tourniquets um kitty litter is, is there to to spread on the floor if there's blood on the floor so the children can escape um and there's also obviously wounds wound, uh, wound, uh, wound bandages and things like that mm. now the kitty litter at this one school in colorado was used for that very reason it was in a go pack to throw on the floor in case, <laughs> you have to say this, but in case his children are shot mm. and they have to throw a kitty litter on the floor to um, to allow for traction to get the kids out um, should there be too much blood on the floor. So that's the only place that this was found. Now, basically, this kind of thing was hijacked to attack people in the LGBTIQ community, people who are going through identity shifts, people who might be trans, things like that. This is It was essentially some sort of... Um, frivolous way of trivialising people's identity uh, identity shifts or identity crises they may be going through by saying, oh, look what they're doing. They're putting, they're putting key litter in school now in case you want to be an animal, which is just absolutely absurd. So, yeah, it was strange that that had to be debunked, but that's the reality of it. That, that's what I, I just cannot come to grips with the fact that this has to be debunked, but at least 20 Republican politicians have now yeah. got on got on this bandwagon and it came out of a luncheon for a, that uh, Republican women were having in Colorado and it's just yeah. crazy you know war- warning that educators are putting you know litter boxes in schools for people who identify as cats no it, uh, no it, it, it's absurd yeah because Lauren Boebert is a uh, is a, a Republican candidate mm-hmm. from Colorado so just as representing from Colorado you should know better than this you should know better and understand that, of course, in the, in the wake of the Columbine tragedy uh, over 20 years ago now, mm. that this was a reaction to that. Um, and the fact that it's even still required in schools is is just abhorrent. But this is this is what tends to happen, is they run with this narrative. They don't have to have specifics. They don't have to speak directly to anything. They just can throw it out there and talk about it. 
And by the time, you know, in a week, two weeks' time where the, where the truth has been revealed and the facts actually come out, because it takes time to build that case, they'll move on to something else. So they'll move on to some other conspiracy-driven belief that just gets popularised and, and takes off in, the, um, in this particular, uh, I would even say, intolerant community. Yeah, it's just, it is really bizarre, truly. When when I saw it, I'm like, you can't be serious, Zach. You can't be serious. But then I, I did exactly what you did. I went and I looked, at, looked yeah. it up and, uh, you know, there it is on a news site. It's like, this this cannot be happening. This truly, yeah. this just cannot be happening. Now, uh, the other big one that's grabbed uh, grabbed news, speaking of conspiracy theorists, I um, I heard the first one of the, obviously you and I sp- spoke about the first time Alex Jones was found uh, was found guilty and, uh, and had to pay compensation. Yeah. This is the latest defamation case brought against uh, against him by families of uh, of Sandy Hook he's got to play a billion dollars this time surely yeah, it's got uh, it is this not sending messages to to not say things like yes kitty litter in schools surely this has got to start to make some difference to these people yes but the way that they counteract this and a few of them have been doing this over here is they come out and they say oh well there's no free speech anymore there's no free speech so they don't equate freedom of speech from freedom of consequence. So they think because they're in the United States, you know, the First Amendment, I can say what I want and do what I want. Okay, yeah, fine. You can't get on your syndicated program. We know what's syndicated at that stage mm-hmm. through various cable networks over here, fringe, but still syndicated, um, and say that the Sandy Hook massacre in 2012 was a false flag operation by anti-gun activists and that the parents of the children who, uh, the parents of the children who were killed were paid crisis actors you cannot go out there and say this event did not happen when you have when you have families that have a bedroom that's empty now you cannot come out and do that whatsoever now i I think he attempted to walk back some of these statements over ensuing years but these parents were dogged and they went after him and so they should Mm. so he was found guilty this week of defamation in the civil lawsuit and anyone who's been following this will know that it was just it was just calamitous. His whole defense was just absurd. He denied reading text messages. He denied having text messages where he, he affirmed what he was saying and saying that he didn't really mean to walk back any of these, any of these uh, contrition. And then, of course, he, he, he said, I never sent those text messages. And then when they played him in court, he'd actually, he accidentally sent those messages, like copies of them, to his staff. So he, he, he lied in court. He denied things that were easily disproven through his own incompetence. Um, and now he owes these families close to a billion dollars in damages. Now, I think it's nine families of the uh, of the close to 20 victims in the massacre that sued him in this case. There's still three more to go. There's still three more lawsuits that he's facing wow. for saying something like this. But he, he's had a crack at a few things before. Um, the Parkland massacre in Florida, he accused one of the students of that to be, to be uh, a paid crisis actor as well. Now, this is a very common attack that that people like him and Ben Shapiro and others tend and Candace Owens, they tend to play. They sort of go, well, this can't really be real. Someone's just trying to inflame the situation. <laughs> and the reality is they're inflaming it by, by mocking the grief and mocking the experiences of these families by saying that this whole thing was fabricated, this whole thing was not real. It, I mean, it's deeply, deeply painful that these families have to continue to relive this. And God willing, you know, hopefully if the, the legal system is uh, is reasonable in this case, this will be the last we have to hear of it. Surely he's got to be getting close to um, to declaring bankruptcy. 
You would think so, yeah. Mm. So he's, he was on his show this week on InfoWars saying that, I need money, I need you to make mm. donations so that I can fight this. They're trying to take my right to free speech away. But, mate, you're saying this on your show. You're saying they're trying to take your right to free speech away on your on show. On your show, yeah. The same show. Yeah, that facilitated all these comments that have now seen you pay, uh, seen you found guilty and, um, and liable for these costs. So you would think you'd be close to it, but... He does. He does have a, a, a decent enough following. Even if he has a million viewers in the U.S., a population of 350 million people, and they all kick in a hundred bucks each. There's a hundred million dollars for him, and he can just pay lawyers for years and years and years just to avoid paying these people the money. It is just. Um, it is truly. It is mind blowing that uh, that this is still is still going on. It's. Uh, I just. He, yeah. should, he should be pulled off air. Like he should not be. Whoever his internet provider is, anything, he should just be pulled off air. Well, that, that did happen for a period of time where he, he was struggling to find a hosting domain um, to host his website, but I, I believe there's always ways around it. And, of course, you, you'll usually find that people like Alex Jones and others like that, they tend to be sort of Russian apologists. Now, the big, the big narrative that's coming out of people like him and that now are saying that, oh, well, why don't we look for peace with Russia? Why don't we sue for peace with Russia? But that, that would mean, you know, Ukraine uh, giving up Crimea and the, and the territories that Russia invaded and took. But this is the line that they take. They tend to sort of be these apologists or sympathists, even, for the, the Putin regime. So it, it's, a, it's, a, they're, it's a very, very strange world they live in. Very strange. It really is. Now, we've got a bit of an issue with our clam chowder if we're, uh, if we're living in Seattle, which is, uh, is known for their exceptional clam chowder. Mate, the crabs have gone missing. What the hell's going on? This is this is a serious. This is quite serious and quite astounding. Um, now, a, a mate of mine, I know his name's Michael. He's a director of photography on uh, and producer for a show called The Deadliest Catch. Now, people are familiar with The Deadliest Catch, Ooh, the incredible yeah. show on the Discovery Love Channel. It. Been going for like yeah, fifteen years. Mm. So Michael used to go out in the boats and film them during the crab seasons, and he he, he went out for five or six seasons and. He said that was it. Got too dangerous. So these men on these boats, they risk their lives to make upwards, you know, of, of a, quite a few million dollars from um, fishing for Alaskan king crab. And now I see them at, at like the supermarket here. You mm. see them in, in the in the window, mm. and they're big creatures. They're these big spidery looking things. They're scary. Um, yeah, they are. They're, they're mm. quite imposing looking, and they're they're a big delicacy, and they're they're highly sought after, especially in places like Japan. Um, but one billion of these crabs have gone missing. Over the last two years, now they usually breed and hang out in particular breeding areas, but they just disappeared, and they're trying to figure out what's happening. So that means the Alaskan king crab season for this year, which usually kicks off about now, has been cancelled. So none of these boats, which are all employ 15, 20 people, and contribute $950 million to the Anchorage uh, economy in the Alaskan, uh, I think well, the Anchorage economy, also the Alaskan economy, mm-hmm. um, will, be, uh, will just be... This whole thing will essentially just be destitute this year. There's just going to be nothing because there are no crabs to, to get after. Where have they so gone? Does anyone have any idea where they're, they've gone? They're trying to figure it out. They're not sure. They're not in their usual breeding uh, locations. They're not sure if maybe there were some hurricanes that went through there this year. There were some really bad hurricanes that went through perhaps that displaced some of them mm. or has, whether there's been shifts in the, in, the, in the temperature of the water, which means that the breeding seasons just haven't quite been as prolific as in the past. Wow. So it's, it's a very interesting uh, situation yeah. that's currently being played out as we speak, yeah. Wow. 
Now, the news that, uh, you know, it made it all the way to the UK, of course, is uh, Biden's pardon of people who are facing federal criminal charges for uh, for marijuana. Now, it's uh, this is a huge one. This is a huge, it, you know, it can have ramifications around the world because, uh, you know, heroin... We treat marijuana in different countries in different ways, but uh, in some countries yes. it's, it's treated the same as, as heroin or cocaine. Yet Mr. Biden is going to, uh, to basically pardon anyone who has, uh, is facing criminal charges for weed. Is this for possession or is this for growth? Or what is the, what is the actual, what is he going to be pardoning? Yeah, well, it's, it's for anyone who's facing a federal charge related to marijuana, whether it's for possession, growth, uh, trafficking, anything like that. Because I think it's 19 states now um, across the, the contiguous United States, marijuana is legal. Mm. Um, and it, it's legal for possession, it's legal for usage, recreational or medicinal. I'm not saying every state is like that, but of the 19, that's broadly the breakdown of mm. it. So, you know, Colorado was one of the first, California wasn't far behind parts of Alabama <laughs> have, have legalized medicinal, um, the usage oh, of medicinal God, marijuana. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's quite extraordinary. And I, I think Australia does have a lot of ground to catch up here. And, mm. and a, it, for, for a drug that is really uh, quite, a, quite a, a, a valuable commodity uh, to the economy. I mean, mm. the, the marijuana growing industry, uh, I actually know a guy over here, Mike, he, he, runs a, he owns a weed store up in Studio City called Stash. Um, you know, if you you can go in there and buy mm. buy marijuana, like you go to you go to Bevmo or Dan Murphy's to buy alcohol, it's the same kind of thing. Um, and he said it's it's worth upwards of a billion dollars just within California alone. So it seems absurd that in states like California and Colorado and and Washington and Oregon, that you know it's legal and people are growing it and they're selling it and there's an industry behind it, but other states haven't legalized it. But you would get in trouble in one state but not the other. So the Biden administration basically came out and said, look, if you're charged with a federal crime, which basically means you've gone between states and you've done something wrong between states, we're not going to charge you anymore because it's so inconsistent. And they do, like, it is still treated here as a class one drug. They still look at it as severe as class one narcotic. They still look at it as severe as heroin. And it's just not, not the case at all. I mean, and, and it's funny, like, a lot of people are coming out and saying, oh, marijuana is bad for society, makes crime go up. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, no, it hasn't really. No, it really doesn't. Actually, they, it, it yeah. kind of puts uh, puts the user to sleep most times. That's uh, you know, or, or they'll go out and, yeah. and use lot, you know, buy lots of takeaway food. That's what it will do. It it stimulates the economy. Exactly. Yeah, the, the only theft that may occur is if you have some leftover, you know, if you have some leftover eggs and bacon in the fridge and your stone's friend comes over. That's yeah. probably the only theft that's going to occur. Probably. You know, they're yeah. going to take something, take something out of your fridge. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and, but the way people say, people usually commit crimes to, to, uh, to acquire the drug. They steal things or they do something to acquire the drug that they need. When you take away the need for that mm-hmm. and you legalise it and someone can just go and buy it as needs be and use it in safe environments. I mean, obviously here, you can't drive while high mm. and there's, there's advertisements everywhere explaining that um, you can't drive while the, under heavy influence of marijuana so it, it's, it's still the same policy as alcohol basically and if there's a safe environment to use it then there's really no issue with it at all and people are not going to people are not going to steal money to then go and buy wheat when they can just go down the road and, and get it themselves yeah, exactly. you know, without any fear of yeah fear of being caught so look it, it's it's a it's a very big thing, and it's, mm. uh, it's something that I'm curious to see how Australia is going to handle. Because my mate uh, Peter Fitzsimons he wrote an article on the weekend about mm. it, talking about 
the league, the, you know, the um, the pardons over here, and just how America has kind of embraced it as just you know it's here in society. It's always going to be here. Oh, it's not so going we anywhere. Well do something constructive? No, yeah. of course not. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I've had the discussions with Mia. I'd, you know, I'd rather Mia. Um, you know, smoke cigarettes than than use vapes. Um, you know, we've, yeah. we've had that open conversation. You know, I, I said to her, please don't use vapes. Please don't. I'd rather you yeah. smoke or smoke the other stuff. Don't, you know, and she laughed at me right. when I said smoke the other stuff. She went, what do you mean? I said, marijuana. And she's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I said, that's safer, darling, than vapes. <laughs> that, I, it's safer yeah. what's inside marijuana than what's in a vape. Oh, well, yeah, because what's in marijuana is a naturally... A grown product. product. Yeah, you <laughs> you just, just got to watch the herbicide. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And I mean, there are some marijuanas that, that are cut and, and mm. constructed in different ways to create a different sensation. But broadly speaking, like pure marijuana or by itself or the hemp plant is really not that not that intoxicating depending on how much like with alcohol depending on how much of it you ingest and with like with vapes and like with some pills and things like that it's a chemical compound so naturally you're going to have these issues actually we're talking to some friends last night about pill testing over here talking about pill testing Mm. across the united states and across europe um at music festivals and how they 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 were at a a festival and they had some pills and they got them tested and there was fentanyl in the pill and they and they went well no we're not going to take that Mm. so they tossed them aside immediately so, again, you know, this kind of proactivity and leaning into the acceptance that drugs are there and kind of destigmatizing it in a way is really serious. Mm. And that's why this is so interesting, too, because Reagan started the war on drugs over here. Mm. So this is, I guess, kind of a, a way of saying, well, let's just, let's just move on past that. Yeah, let, let's, let's move past the war on drugs. Let's just uh, move. Nothing to see here. Move over there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly right. Didn't quite work. No, it didn't quite work. <laughs> now, we are, uh, we're headed into Halloween. It's uh, it's getting closer yeah. and closer, and I must admit, Zach, I am really surprised by the amount of Halloween decorations that are over here this year. Obviously, coming back oh, really? from the UK, I saw a lot, but the UK embrace it. They, you know, they very much have, have always course, done yeah. done you know Halloween. But over here, the amount of working into TK Maxx the other day, there's like this entire section that is Halloween. Man, it's yeah, it's really going off over uh, over here at the moment. But uh, you've got uh, you know you've got a few things. You've got uh, you know Halloween is definitely getting scarier because about uh, yeah. your treats, the trick or treat treats oh. for this year, they're about thirteen point one percent up the price increase on yeah. lollies and candies in in the last uh, however long. That's a treat in itself, <laughs> trick or treat. Yeah, can you afford the actual candy? But you've also got a, uh, a bit of a change in our box office, the way that, uh, that the box office is running on Halloween as well. Yeah, this is interesting as well. Yes, so, you know, the prices of lollies have gone up, you know, whereas the box office takings for one horror film in particular have not quite reached what they wanted. Mm. It, it's uh, Halloween Ends, which is a... Supposedly the final movie in the Halloween mm. franchise. Uh, we'll see how much money it makes, and they'll mm. make that decision. But it made $41 million at the box office. You know, that's nothing to be sneezed at. Mm. It was a $20 million budget. If you make 40 back, you broadly made back your budget plus mm. your P&A campaign. So it's not too bad. But what they discovered was over here, NBC has their, their platform called Peacock, which is their, their streaming platform. And it was the most popular movie downloaded on Peacock that weekend. So oh. they looked at the numbers and they were like, well, look, you know, just to pick a figure, if, if one million people watched it on Peacock this weekend, that's one million people who didn't spend 14 bucks to go and see it at the flicks. Correct. So that's, you know, <laughs> that's an extra $14 million that we really could have had in our pocket, <laughs> you know? So, um, oh, wow. yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting 
seeing how this is kind of starting to split. Mm. And then, of course, on TV here, we've got Freeform, which is the Disney channel, which does 31 Days of Halloween, um, which is always, you know, really fun and really interesting. And then they had Hocus Pocus 2 on Disney Plus this year. So Hocus Pocus 2 is a sequel to a very famous campy uh, sort of, I guess, culty hit from the 90s with Bette Midler um, and Sarah Jessica Parker, where they play three witches who come back to life. And it's very popular amongst millennials over mm. here. And they released the sequel about two weeks ago exclusively on Disney Plus. So, the, you know obviously get all the subscribers going towards Disney+. Plus. So Disney in particular, they really lean into Halloween as being a huge mm. part of their market. Instead of releasing the sequel to the flicks, they went straight to streaming, whereas Halloween ends, hedged its bets, it went yeah. for box office and streaming, yeah. So which, I mean, obviously, do you continue to have an each-way bet? Is that the way to go? Or uh, is it just easier to, to put it straight onto your streaming, you, you cut your costs? Is that the way that we're going to, go, we're going to start to see things? It's a great question, Tracy. I mean, that, that, that's, that's got, there's many answers to that, mm. but it comes down to two things. One is it's much cheaper to go to streaming, so the, the distributors of the, of the feature film and also the exhibitors, in this case the streaming platforms, are very happy to have it because there's minimal P&A costs. It goes on the streaming, people watch it or they don't, mm. they subscribe to the service, that's it. Whereas creators, the producers and writers and directors of the projects, uh, uh, don't get as favourable an outcome from the streaming platforms because uh, with box office, there's hard money that you can annotate. You can look at it and go, right, this amount goes here, this amount goes here, and you can keep making that money, whereas you generally just get a flat fee with some of these streaming platforms with a bump in numbers, but they don't publish their numbers most of the time. Wow. So it's hard for creators to know mm. how successful their product has been. So there's really no back end for them anymore uh, with the streaming platform. It's not nearly as common. So for distributors and for exhibitors like the stream platforms, stream platforms are great for them. But for creatives, producers, writers, directors, it's not nearly as favorable because you sort of have this one and done situation where they pay you your money, cheers, see you later. And then if the thing becomes a huge smash hit, you're likely it's likely you won't get much out of it. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's going to be an interesting situation as wow. we push through. Martin Scorsese looks at it from an artistic point of view where he makes his movies for cinemas, mm. and he talked about this with The Irishman. But, of course, The Irishman famously went on to Netflix. So there's the creative angle, too, where the cinematic scope is meant to be more, you know, is meant to be more favourable mm. for some films. And, um, yeah, so that's the other side of it, too. Wow, there is uh, certainly changes afoot across every industry in the world at the moment, and uh, the one that you there always is. thought would be immune to it is Hollywood, and it's certainly not. It just keeps evolving, Trace. Mm. That's the thing. Like you know, I think like we talked about with the end of the antitrust laws, like uh, recently. Um, you know, in the fifties when TV was really at its peak here, but when it had just started in Australia, sorry, TV was really getting into gear here. Mm. The cinemas had to readjust into something else. So they're sort of facing the same, I guess, crisis of identity here. But, I mean, it didn't stop Top Gun Maverick making over a oh. billion dollars. <laughs> so nope. And that's, that is one you have to see in the cinemas, you know, to have that oh, yeah. that music come up and, you know, to have those jets fly by. Man, you need that sound. You need the cinematic experience. Yeah, you need the immersion of it. And this is where Avatar, uh, Avatar 2 coming out in December is going to be really interesting because mm. the first Avatar was re-released here recently. And it made an extra 30 or $40 million at the box office alone, just that one movie. So 
if they manage to roll that into something pretty good in, in, in uh, December, it'll be good in that regard. So there's some directors who are only cinema, cinema release only, and, you know, Spielberg's one, James mm. Cameron's another. Um, Denis Villeneuve, who's doing the Dune movies, is in a similar position as well. So, yeah, it's, um, it's going to be very interesting as we start to push ahead and these streaming platforms become more and more robust. Yeah, without a doubt. And, uh, yeah, especially over in the UK, you still need a licence to watch television, watch, you know, your traditional television. It's just that entire, that entire model has got to change and it has got to go back to, similar to what we do with the ABC here and what you guys do with, yeah. with PBS over there, you know. It has got yeah. to just come out of taxpayer funds. It can't be generated by people paying television licences because that is, that is a, a bygone business model. Yeah, it's, it's an extremely archaic way of mm. approaching this. I remember when I was living in Ireland, I heard about the TV licence. And I, could, I couldn't quite believe that mm. you needed a licence to watch the telly. Because yeah. like you said, like we pay our eight cents a day for the ABC in mm. Australia and the commercial networks essentially lease, you'll know more about it than me, but I, I think they lease the, the right to the airwaves mm. from the government um, you know, to broadcast their platforms. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so they get their license to do that, but then they make their money back by selling advertising space. So, yeah, it's, it sort of seems a little bit silly, and it's also counterproductive to the BBC mm-hmm. because then they're going to lose income um, for what is an extremely highly regarded and really valuable source. And they are. They're, they're at this point in time, you know, they're losing losing money and losing funding at a rate of knots because nobody has looked at what these new business models are doing to the BBC. But, you know, investigative journalism, what what the BBC does is just so vitally important. And, uh, you know, some yeah. politicians would obviously like to see it, it go by the wayside. Um, but, you know, yeah. they've got to look at some different models. Look, thank you so much for your time, my friend. It's so nice to talk to you. It's been quite a while since we caught up. So it it's has. nice, it's yeah, nice it's to nice shoot to the chat. breeze. Yeah. What's yeah, the weather like over there at the moment? It's been cooling off and it's been mm. really cloudy and, and, like, the marine layer has been really dense uh, mm. lately. So it's sort of getting into this nice, eerie, fall Halloween-y mm. type vibe. Oh, so uh, we're very much enjoying it. But if you want to share some rain with us, we're always happy to take that. <laughs> Yeah, you can take that. You can have all of that that you want because it's just ridiculous. It's raining again. Please do. Oh, madness. Oh, you stay safe, my friend. We'll catch up next Monday. Looking forward to it, Tracy. Thanks again. Thanks, mate. Bye. That is Zach Garrett who joins us every single Monday right here on uh, Newcastle Live. He lets us know what's going on over in La La Land and it's uh, it's great to have him on the program each and every week. Coming up, I'm going to find out what's happening today on The Good Stuff with Bonnie and Steve and then of course it is the Newcastle Live Music Show with Bonnie Ann again happening from 6 o'clock tonight. I'll catch up with the beautiful Bonnie and find out uh, what you can expect from this week's edition of that fantastic fantastic Newcastle music program. You're with Tracy Mack on Newcastle Live. With decades of media experience, Tracy Mack brings you a smart, fast-paced morning of news and entertainment with special guests and major newsmakers for your morning fix. Join Tracy Mack for Newcastle in the Morning, weekdays from 9, only on Newcastle Live.